Well, we're looking forward to Easter, and hopefully you're inviting your friends and looking forward to it as well. I want to say hello to those of you who are here for the first time. I want to say hello to those of you who are watching online before you come and visit. I want to start by saying this. Since the beginning of recorded history, whenever one country conquered another country, once all the battles were fought, all the people had been subjugated, once the reigning king was killed and all the political adversaries were neutralized. The new king, the conquering king, would parade his army through the streets of the capital city in an awe-inspiring spectacle of power, simply to say, I'm the new king now. This happened in 331 BC when Alexander the Great conquered what was believed to be the impenetrable city of Babylon, the great capital city of the Persian Empire. Should, this, this actually should be a warning to the United States, who people think that we could never, ever, ever actually lose. Alexander paraded his troops to show everyone that he was now the new king. This happened in 410 AD when the ruthless king Alaric, the ruler of a gnarly bunch of people called the Visigoths, sacked Rome and ended the great Roman Empire. Not many Americans are aware of this, but there was a regal show of power here on our land. On November 25th, 1783, when British troops vacated New York City, George Washington, in a show of power, paraded the Continental Army through the streets of New York City to the clamoring thongs of the masses. All throughout history, when one kingdom conquered another, when a shift took place in power, the king would come to the capital city and say, I'm the new king. This happened with Napoleon. Napoleon sacked Moscow. Sacked Moscow, September 14, 1812. Took over Russia. On the, in what has to be probably the most hideous modern-day example of this, June 14, 1940, Nazi Germany sacked Paris, marched their troops straight down the Champs-Élysées. Pictures were released worldwide of Hitler taking pictures in front of the Arc de Triomphe as well as the Eiffel Tower. Now, when you understand the fear that these pictures produced, you'll understand why it was important for American forces, once they liberated France, to march the 28th Infantry straight down the same streets that the Nazis were marching on. These marches were designed to instill confidence in some and instill fear in others. Now, can anyone guess what historians say is the most significant, the single greatest display of regal power as a new king was coming into a city? Call it out. Anyone know? I heard over here Jesus, and that would be wrong. Actually, the greatest would be when Prince Ali, happy as he, Ali Ababwa, <laughs> came in on Aladdin. That was pretty cool. That was the greatest cartoon. But in terms of human history, you are correct. That would be Jesus. We're continuing this series called Via Crucis, which is Latin for the way of the cross. And what we're doing is we're tracing Jesus' journey from, Gal from Galilee to Golgotha, and we're using the Gospel of Matthew as our guide. And what we're uncovering are things that 
aren't readily shared in church and the demands that these claims of Jesus are placing on us. Now, we begin today in Matthew chapter 21. Now, I want you to look behind me at this map from author Stephen Miller. He put together a great map of, um, of Galilee and the Judean hills all the way to Jerusalem. Now, up to this point in Jesus' story, Jesus lived his childhood uh, right here in Nazareth. He moved over here when he was 30 to Capernaum. And in Capernaum, Matthew chapter 3 through Matthew chapter, eight, through Matthew chapter 17, Jesus' whole ministry was in this area. In chapter 18 and 19 and 20, Jesus begins coming down here. And in chapter 21, we find him going from Jericho up the Jericho Road over here to Jerusalem. Now, the thing I want you to know is when Jesus left and came down here, he wasn't alone. He had his disciples, but he also had thousands of people who were coming for the Passover, which is basically Jewish Mardi Gras without throwing beads and throwing your shirts up. It was basically very conservative Jews at a huge outdoor festival that they called Passover. Um, Joachim Jeremias, a German scholar, said that in Jerusalem, the town of Jerusalem was around 25,000 people. That's debated. But during Passover, all of these people coming down through the Jordan River Valley up this area, there would be upwards of 300,000 people or more in Jerusalem. I want you to think about what it would be like if you basically parked your car four, year, four miles away from Lincoln Financial Field on game day, and you walked towards the stadium. Eventually, or when you began, it's just you walking. But eventually, you see someone else with a jersey. You see another person. And eventually, as you're getting closer to the stadium, everyone's chanting, E, A, you know, all the way through. This is exactly what's happening up to Matthew chapter 21. Let's read it together. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt with her. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. The disciples have to think, This is weird. Why do you need a donkey? We are going into the city. What are you doing with this donkey? Well, Jesus, like Hitler, like George Washington, like every single other conquering king that was to enter a city, they understood symbolism. And Jesus knew that there was a prophecy in an Old Testament book called Zechariah, and Matthew notes this. Zechariah says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Then the prophecy is, say to the daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus sends his disciples ahead. They get this donkey. He sits on it and everyone's like, oh, oh, we get what's going on here. We see what's going on here. <laughs> You're the king. The king is coming in. On a donkey. Now, a quick side note. I need to grab a couple things here. This is a Jewish prayer shawl. Got a talent. 
And uh, it has 613 little tassels in it. Does anyone know why there are 613 tassels on the end of a prayer shawl? The laws. There are 613 laws that the Hasidim, the holy ones, we've talked about that in them in this series, they identified 613 laws to obey. So on the end of their tassels, they'll do that. Um, I got this in Israel uh, this past summer. This is a scroll. The Bible that you read was not printed on a Gutenberg press. It was written on papyrus. I got this in Egypt at a papyrus-making facility. The reeds that are pressed together, and they become the writing material that you write. When you read the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew originally was on one big scroll. They're very expensive to make. And so at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, Luke thanks Theophilus for donating the material that he can write on for his Gospels. Now I point this out because as Jesus is coming to um, Jerusalem, he spends his last seven days there. They call this Holy Week. And everyone is coming there because of the Passover. During the Passover, but also on other days, Sometimes the Shabbat, the Sabbath, other times it would be the Festival of Lights, there would be different times. The head of the household would take their prayer shawl. Oftentimes women would as well, but usually the male head of the household, leading the family in prayers, would take the scroll, and then they would read Psalm 113 to Psalm 18, which was called Halal. The halal. It was a long prayer. Psalm 113 to 118, they would open up the scroll and they would read it. And the reason they do this is, do you have a pump-up song that you have when you work out? I have a playlist on Spotify. It's called Get Jacked. And as my dad points out, son, I have bad news for you. It's not working yet. So... Um, I have this Get Jack playlist, and when I want to work out, I'll put on these ACDC songs and different things, pump-up songs, and I'm playing these, and it'll, you know, get the adrenaline going and that sort of thing. Psalm 113 to 118, the halal, is the Jewish Get Jacked playlist. It is the playlist that they read when they want to be reminded of God's victory and power over the nations. The halal begins in Psalm 113. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, the glory, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? The one who sits enthroned on high. Head of the household is reading this off of the scroll. Psalm 114, it continues. When Israel came out of Egypt, the sea looked and fled. The ocean fled from Israel. The Jordan turned back. The mountains leaped like rams. The hills like lambs. Why is it sea that you fled? Why, Jordan, did you turn back? Why, mountains, did you leap like rams? You hills like lambs. Tremble, earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. And then at the very end, Psalm 118, at the end of the halal, it says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They would be praying together as a family. Now, there is this verse, verse 25. It's the only time it occurs in the entire Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament. Verse 25 says, Lord, save us. This is important. The English translation from the Hebrew, Lord, save us, it comes from the Hebrew, Hoshayana. Now you tell me what English word sounds like Hoshayana, Hoshayana, Hoshayana. Hosanna, yes it is. The the Hebrew word Hoshayana, we translate it Hosanna. It means Lord, save us. And so, good, faithful Jews at the Sabbath, at the Passover, throw this thing on, pull the scrolls out, and read triumphant songs from Psalm 113, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. And they get to the point where they're thinking, Hoshayana, he's going to save us. Please, Lord, save us from the Romans. Now, back to our passage. Jesus and his disciples walk from Jericho up to the Mount of Olives. And from this perspective, you overlook the city of Jerusalem. From this perspective, Jesus then mounts on top of the donkey and rides. Now people are thinking, this is the king. But he's different from Alexander. He's not riding in on an elephant He's not riding in with troops at his side. It says in Zechariah, see your king comes to you gentle and riding like riding on a foal, a donkey. Now, it was a Messiah nonetheless. He was a king nonetheless. Kind of think what would happen at this point of what would happen if Carson Wentz parked his car four miles from Lincoln Financial Field on game day and said, I'm going to walk with the fans. How long do you think it would take for him to get recognized? A minute? Finally, two people are walking with him getting selfies. And then five. And then 20. And then 100. And then literally there's five, 10,000, 15, 20,000 people. Hordes of people following Carson Wentz to Lincoln Financial Field. This is exactly what's happening on this day. Verse 8 says, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. We're going to create a royal pathway for this new king who's going to overtake the city. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that went behind, everyone in front of him and behind him, they were shouting something. What were they shouting? Hoshayana to the son of David. Where is that? Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Where is that? Psalm 118, the halal. Hosanna In the highest, it's hard to convey the emotion and the fervor that they felt. When I was in seventh grade, my friend Eric and I got beat up every day walking to school and every day walking home, and that is not an exaggeration. Uh, There was a group, we called them stoners, I don't know what you call them today, Uh, but there was 20, 30 of them that would just hang out and smoke pot, and then we literally had to walk through them every single day to get to school and get home. And so my friend Eric got beat up because he was black and an athlete. 
I got beat up because I came from a family that had a little bit of money, and I was an athlete, and together, because we were best friends, we just duked it out every day. It was terrible. Worst day of my life. Went to the principal. I was like, can you do something? He was like, I don't know. Sort of like our hands are tied. Don't really know what to do in this situation. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Finally, my dad had to take them to court where they got a slap on the wrist. I bring this up because one day there was, and this is not an exaggeration, well over 20 of them waiting outside to beat us up. Eric says, I'm calling my brother. And I'm like, that is a great idea. Now, Eric's brother was actually jacked, played football for Kent State University. About 20 minutes later, they're waiting outside from the school, the administrators doing nothing. My friend's brother shows up, parks literally right out in front of the office, doesn't go to a spot, opens up the door and stands up, looks out at everybody, slams the door shut, walks into the office and gets us. Now, when we came out of the school, how do you think we acted? Were we meek and mild? Oh, no, no, no. This is exactly what we did was exactly what the disciples did. Go ahead. Bust. Hit it. Ready? Huh? Give me a little of this. Come on. Help me out. Give me a little of this. Give me a little of this. Give me a little of this. Let's go. We're doing it. Let's go, Jesus. Oh, yeah. Let's go. Son of God, this is him. We're doing this. All right, that's this it. This is a jam for all the fellas. All right, so I'm done. You want more? You want more? My daughters are going to be like, oh, my goodness. Anyway, so, but they're like freaking out. They're like, oh, yeah, we're doing this. The king has come. We have been poor, we've been robbed by Rome, we're going in, and we're pointing to Jesus on the donkey, going into Jerusalem, freaking out, throwing palm branches, everybody's celebrating, because payback is a very tough thing. (laughs) When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, and everyone asked, who is this? You have to remember, they're from Galilee. R.T. France, New Testament scholar, says they were essentially foreigners in their own country. They were so far up in Hicksville to the north that when they entered, people were like, what is going on here? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, I just want to point out for the new people that are here today, This is the question we've been asking ourselves in this series. Who is this? Who is this? After the triumphal entry, Jesus went into Jerusalem and he spent seven days there. We call this in our church calendar, Holy Week. Matthew tells us that Jesus didn't check into an Airbnb, grab a newspaper, and head for the pool. He went straight for the religious leaders. Just like Judah the Hammer, Judah Maccabee, 200 years prior, Jesus, the first thing he did is, I'm cleaning out the temple. And he cleansed the temple, kicked out the money changers, knocked tables over. This will be a house of prayer. And then he looked for the religious leaders. Now, 
One New Testament scholar says that essentially what the money changers and the religious elite have done is they've turned the temple into a mob racket. You couldn't bring a, Jew, a, a, a Roman coin into the temple because it had the picture of a person on it, and that would be sacrilegious. So they had to exchange it for temple silver that they could take into the temple because that wouldn't be blasphemous. And what did they do? They jacked up the charge. They turned this whole thing into a racket, and Jesus freaked. Now, the other thing that Jesus did that seems kind of odd It's sort of put there without comment. Jesus wakes up the next day, walks over the Mount of Olives. While while, while on his way to Jerusalem, he's hungry. He reaches out to a fig tree that doesn't have any figs on it because it's out of season. Jesus looks at the fig tree. May you never bear fruit again, it says. And it wilted. And we're like, what's he have against fig trees? Early in the morning as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry and seeing a fig tree by the road. He went up to it but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately it was withered. Why did he do that? You find out now at the end of Matthew 21. Jesus goes to the religious leaders And he tells them a parable. Who is this hick coming into Jerusalem telling stories? Just like he did in Galilee. Jesus tells them a story about a guy who buys a piece of land, but he doesn't live there. Sort of like a guy that lives in Florida, comes up to Pennsylvania, buys 100 acres of land, but the guy wants to live in Florida. This was a common thing in Israel at this time. He buys 100 acres of land. He has to find people that will farm it. So he finds what are called tenant farmers. And the deal is, this is my land. I'm going to let you farm it, and we'll split the proceeds down the middle. When harvest time comes, you split it in half. You keep half, I'll keep half. I'll send people to collect the money. So Jesus tells this parable. It says, when he entered the temple courts while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to hear this hick from Galilee tell a story. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a wall around it, and dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. And then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. Jesus continues, when the harvest time approaches, Approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. That was the deal. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. The owner's like, what the heck? We have an agreement. It's my land. You can't keep all of the harvest and kill my people. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way, killed them all. Last of all, the owner said, I'll send my son. They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. And so they took him, and they threw him out of the vineyard, And killed him. 
you could see the chests of the religious leaders go up, go up. Who did this? The Jewish leaders cried out. What happened when Jesus asked, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? The religious leaders cried out. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at the harvest time. Religious leaders didn't know who he was talking about. You catch the meaning of the parable? They were the tenants. The Jewish leaders were the tenants. And Jesus is the son about to be killed and thrown outside the city. And God has been sending prophet after prophet after prophet to get to the religious leaders to get them to repent and change their ways. And so God finally sends his son. And then Jesus looks at them and asks them a question. Have you never read the scriptures? They should have killed him on the spot. That was our job. What do you mean? Have we never read the scriptures? And then Jesus quotes from the halal, Psalm 118. Have you never read the scriptures? You don't know who I am? You don't know who you're talking to? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And the Lord has done this. And it is marvelous in our eyes. You religious leaders take me like I'm this hick. I am this stone that isn't worthy to be in your building. And you cast it aside. And then God goes and says, no, 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 no. I want this one, the one that nobody wants. And I'm going to put it in the most prominent position in the house. We sing that song, Cornerstone, Weak Made Strong. It's about this verse. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus said, looking at the Jewish religious leaders, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. I talk to people all the time. They're like, well, you know, Israel, like, you know, God's chosen people over there, you know, and they'll start talking. And what they don't realize is what does this scripture say who the chosen people are? I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you Jewish religious leaders, and it will be given to this group of people, you and me. We're now the people of God, no longer the Jewish nation. What does this have to do with us? The whole point of Matthew 21, the reason Matthew wrote this story down for the disciples of all ages to come, for us today in 2019, is that he wanted to clearly communicate that Jesus expects his disciples to be fruitful. He doesn't want us to be like the fig tree that doesn't bear fruit. Jesus will not allow us to simply sit back and live however we want with no sign of repentance or holiness. I'm going to go to church an hour a week. I'm going to do my Jesus thing, take a toke on the Jesus pipe, and I'm going to go out and do whatever I want. Just like the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. And God keeps warning us and sending messengers and sending messengers And then finally, the sun shows up and says, you thought I was in Florida and I would never, ever, ever stand before you. You can live however you want. The sun is here now. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls 
will be crushed. I want my nice American Jesus. I want the nice televangelist Jesus who God just, I want that Jesus who basically lets me do whatever I want. But then, you know, sort of, sort of like a little gumball machine. I'll put my quarter in and I'll get something out. Anytime I have need a prayer answered, I'll pray to you and you'll answer it. And you'll do it to help make my life easy. I want that Jesus. But who is this Jesus? The question is, what are you going to do with him? For the disciple who is content just showing up and letting everyone else serve, everyone else give, everyone else evangelize. For the non-Christian who thinks Christianity is a joke and makes fun of Christians and God and thinks that there's no consequences coming. For the disciple who is living in a life of sin and God has been sending messengers over and over and over again. What are you going to do when the sun shows up? Because he's already here. God, help us to see the real Jesus. Rid from our lives this heresy of the Jesus that is easy, the Jesus that coddles, and the Jesus that condones. And help us to see the Jesus of the cross, the King Jesus, riding meekly on a donkey, but conquering as a king. Let us see that, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.